Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Well, we come to a really important part of our worship, and that is to worship God through opening up his word and seeing the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ uh, come out and uh, where God reveals himself most clearly to us uh, through his word. And we've been doing this now for, in the book of Luke, I'm sorry about to say, for about 20 odd weeks, nearly the start of the year, a few little breaks and uh, sidetracks, we've gone in different directions. But I've really loved going through the book of Luke, we've got a few more to go to finish off, and what we're seeing is a beautiful vision here of Jesus Christ, and we're seeing uh, his gospel uh, made known to us through Luke, the physician, the doctor, And today as we get to Luke 21, um, just think about this, I think there's a real fascination we have uh, with the end of the world, a real fascination with the end of the world. There's been uh, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of movies that have been produced over the last hundred years about this very fascination, the end of the world. In actual fact, I think it was 1916 we had our first end of the world movie produced, And what do you think that movie was called? End of the World. Surprise, surprise. They were pretty creative back then, End of the World. And we've had hundreds and hundreds and maybe a thousand or so since then with this fascination of the end of the world. Uh, The end of the world is a real thing. It absolutely is. As Christians, we understand it to be a point in time when Jesus Christ, the Creator, comes back to this world to end the world, but also to recreate the world and to have his kingdom come in full completion. We are absolutely convinced about that. And that's exactly what we're going to see part of here in Luke 21. Jesus is going to take him in two different directions where Catherine has so wonderfully read for us before, but I'm going to pick it up again now from verse 29 through to 36. So Luke 21 and verse 29 through to 36 to complete that reading for us. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What a beautiful sight that will be, hey? To stand before the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we're able to come this morning and to open up your word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just build confidence and hope into our hearts confidence and hope here in the second coming of Christ. Not to be put off by the events of this world that are happening around about us, but Lord, to let confidence and hope and faith to grow in our hearts, that we will one day, as we keep enduring before you, Lord Jesus, we will stand before you face to face. What a glorious day that will be. 
Help us today, Holy Spirit, as we just open this passage up now in Luke 21. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is continuing here in a period of intense opposition to his ministry. Uh, He's receiving lots of conflict and increasing hatred here from the religious hierarchy who are around about him. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem a few days prior to this and is involved teaching in the temple daily. He's gathering a group of disciples and people around about him. And just prior to this, Jesus has also pronounced judgment on the false religion and has cleansed the temple here of its corrupted practices. They were turning the temple into a money-making venture, selling all sorts of things for the sacrifices they were bringing, but really there was no intent of authentic worship before God, and they were just trying to make money out of this. And Jesus has cleansed the temple, tipping over the tables of the money changers and saying, why have you corrupted uh, my father's house? It should be a house of prayer. So it would be fair to say that when Jesus is doing this and, and he's teaching, he isn't the flavour of the month. He's not about to be nominated for the employee of the month here because of what he's doing. At the same time as all this is taking place, Jesus knows his death on the cross is only days away. Not weeks away, within days. And Jesus knows exactly what he's going to go through as he, goes, uh, as he prepares for these final days here. What Jesus does here in Luke 21, he now takes some time to give some more intimate teaching uh, with with his disciples and probably only his disciples uh, that he takes away to just give us some more intimate teaching about what's happening. And this teaching is going to be about future events, future events, something that's going to happen in the not too distant future at Jerusalem. And then things that are for the end of time is what Jesus will touch on as well. Jesus is going to prepare his disciples here to face times of massive persecution and then assurance of his second coming. Just taking some time here to intimately teach him, teach the disciples these things. Here's a big idea that will sort of frame where we're going to go today. And it's this. Uh, Jesus is coming again with power and great glory. In readiness, we must be prayerful and not allowing ourselves to be captivated by the pursuits of this world. Jesus is coming again with with power and great glory. And in readiness, we must be prayerful, not allowing ourselves to be captivated by the pursuits of this world. Okay, it's really going to be helpful here if we understand what's happening in this chapter. This chapter is also repeated both in Matthew and Mark as well. Uh, It's one of those chapters... This particular chapter here that's really difficult to understand and easy to get wrong and misinterpret it. It's difficult to understand and it's easy to misinterpret it by trying to understand when are all these things taking place here that Jesus is talking about. As Jesus is preparing them for the future, he swings from talking about events not too far away to things that are right out at the end of time. He sort of goes between the two. And if you don't pick up that change where Jesus is doing that, that's where things get confusing, real confusing here in this chapter. It starts off uh, with with some of the disciples saying, Lord, look at this temple. Look at how grand and how glorious this temple is. And it is grand. It was probably one of the spectacular features of the world of that day. It took 46 years to build that temple and easily, easily had it still been standing today would be one of the seven wonders of the world. It was just a fantastic uh, icon. 
Jesus replies after hearing that question of you know, how grand this temple is, Jesus replies, says, a day is coming when this temple will be torn down stone by stone. Now, talk about burst your bubble as far as looking at the, at the temple. Jesus just drops a bomb. Well, they come back to Jesus and they say, well, when will this be? And what will a sign that it's, be that it's about to happen, Jesus? Tell us all about that. So then Jesus begins to reply here with this teaching. He says, don't be deceived. Many false Christs will come and say, follow me. But don't follow them, says Jesus. You'll hear of wars and calamities all about you. And Jesus says, don't be terrified of this, because this isn't the end at this stage, because they're thinking about when this temple's going to get destroyed. And then in verses 10 to 18, Jesus goes on and says a bit more, there'll be all manner of wars between nations taking place all around Jerusalem at this time. There'll be earthquakes, there'll be famines, there'll be plagues, there'll be diseases, there'll be a whole range of things coming and going. And they'll even come and grab followers of me as your Lord and Saviour, and they'll persecute you terribly. You'll be dragged in front of synagogues, before kings and before courts. You'll be accused of following me as one of those people who've, who called Jesus Lord. Even your own family, Jesus says, will betray you in these days, handing you over to the authorities. You'll be hated by all people because of you identify with me, Jesus says, in the times leading up to this uh, event here of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, some of you they'll even kill, leading up to this point in time. Jesus is referring to events here when he says this that aren't too far away from that point in time when Jesus is talking with the disciples on Mount Olivet. The disciples don't know this at the moment when they're sitting there with Jesus. But there's something coming in the next 40 years that fulfills precisely what Jesus is talking about. They don't know it yet. They will know it in about 40 years' time. But that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus goes on in verses 20 to 24 and he says this, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, then know its destruction is near. And Jesus says, when you see that, run, run. Run to the mountains, head for the hills, get out of the city, do it as quick as you can. Many people will die by the sword that day. Many, many people will die. This isn't an end of the world event. This is the confusing part sometimes of this particular chapter here in Luke 21. It's not an end of the world event that Jesus is actually referring to up to this point in that chapter. You see, in AD 66, Jerusalem revolted against Roman rule and they entered into what is known as the Jewish Wars. Rome came down at this particular time when uh, when, um, the Jews revolted and they laid siege to Jerusalem and over four years they starved them out. That's how they conquered cities and kingdoms back then. They would actually cut off the supply of food and water and eventually starve out that city or that kingdom so they would surrender. That's exactly what the Romans did. They came down and they laid siege to Jerusalem. Josephus, a Jewish historian, not a believer, but a a Jewish historian, records the horrific scenes of these Jewish wars when Rome had laid siege to Jerusalem, mothers eating their own children because they were starving to death. Josephus records there more than one million people dying over this four-year period. 
Eventually, in AD 70, Rome has encircled Jerusalem. They invade the city and they demolish the temple as a sign of their unrelenting power. A Roman soldier lit fire to the temple and burned it to the ground. And Josephus says there in his uh, history of the nation of Israel, says that Roman soldiers came and literally teared apart the temple brick by brick, getting the gold that melted from the temple and had melted through the bricks. What did Jesus say? One day this temple will be torn down stone by stone. That's exactly what these Roman soldiers did. Now when all this took place, when all this took place, the Christians remembered exactly what Jesus had said 40 years earlier and actually headed to the hills, the hills of Palais. This is recorded as well in Josephus. And then Jewish records have them returning out of the hills when Jerusalem became a safe place again for them to come back and to inhabit. You see, what Jesus is talking about here in this early part of Luke 21 is a warning of the future for these believers, something that's going to take place within their lifetime, just 40 years later for many of them. And in those 40 years, they suffered major persecution, as Jesus just spoke about. False messiahs began turning up about 20 years or so after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. Lunatics calling themselves Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And they all began to just appear out of nowhere and gather these small followings and then just disappear in the desert and never see them again after that. You see, everything that Jesus said back in AD 33 eventually took place in AD 70 with the temple coming down. You see, this early part here that Jesus is talking about in Luke 21 is the events of not too far away. A time of distress, a time of persecution, where God brought judgment here upon this uh, false Jewish religion at this time. They took something that was good of God's and they distorted it and corrupted it for their own ends and their own means. So God brought judgment, as it were, upon that upon the temple as a very strong sign that the old covenant is finished. They were still trying to cling on to this old covenant religion. God allowed that temple to be destroyed to say there's a new covenant in place. The old is finished because they corrupted that. They were events that took place within the lifetime of many of those disciples. But then see, Jesus changes his time frame here when he gets to verses 25 and 28. Jesus is now speaking about something entirely different, not about events that will happen in just a few years down the track, but now it's at the end of time that Jesus talks about. Have a look with me in verses 25 and 26. It says this here, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus has made a very definite change here. There'll be some sort of major cosmic disruptions in the skies that Jesus is talking about. The world will be shocked and overcome by the violence of ocean catastrophes, maybe tsunamis. We've seen some devastating tsunamis over the last 20 years or so here around our world. 
People, it says there, will be paralysed by fear when they see what is coming upon the world. There'll be something very visible here about these very last days. They will have some sort of understanding here of these catastrophic events coming upon them with unheard of fear. It's very much marked there with fear and perplexity and a whole range of cataclysmic catastrophes that are marking something very significant and cosmic that's taking place. It says that God will shake the very heavens above us. This is all to take place at the end of time. And here's what we get to look forward to as we think about that in verse 27. It says this, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You see, that's the key to understand here, this last passage that we're looking at. Jesus is returning at the end of time on a cloud with power and great glory. That scene will be stunning. That scene will be amazing. That scene, if you are outside of Christ, will be frightening and fearful. That scene inside of Christ will just be gloriously powerful and beautiful for you. Jesus, returning on the clouds will blow our minds with glory and with power. As I read this week, uh, I read this quote here of David Gooding, who actually spoke about this uh, very thing as he looked at this little passage. And here's the quote we got from David Gooding. It says this, As surely as men standing in Jerusalem once saw him slowly descending the Mount of Olives and then ascending the opposite hill into the city, so surely shall the world one day see the Son of Man descending the heavens. Not then shall he come as the meek and lowly. He shall come with power and great glory. Not then shall he come riding on an ass. He shall come on a cloud, the emblematic carriage of deity. Not then shall he have to borrow a donkey. Then his advanced preparation shall be the roaring of the sea and the shaking of the powers of the heavens. What a glorious picture that is. He comes lowly as a donkey when he, he comes into Jerusalem that first time. But when he returns, he's going to come on the, on the clouds with power and great glory. It will be a sight that every single person will see. Jesus will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He won't be riding lowly and meekly on a donkey into Jerusalem. We are thankful for that, absolutely thankful for that. He's going to return as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to return as the sovereign Lord of the universe to establish his kingdom in finality for eternity. And look at what Jesus says here in in verse 28 as we see this take place. He says this in verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. What's he saying? Lift Lift up your head, follower of Jesus. Straighten up and stand strong. Why? Why would you do that? Because your redemption draws near. The king is coming. The king is just here. He's advancing his kingdom and it's all about to change. Straighten up. Lift up your head. Because the king is coming with great power and glory. No enemy can withstand him. No one can oppose him. He will slay every single person who opposes him with his word. 
none can oppose this great king of glory and power. So when you think about that return, when you think about that king, the king who lovingly gave himself for us the cross 2,000 years ago, but then returning at some point in the future with power and great glory, it fills your heart with hope. It fills your heart with gospel boldness that we look forward to this glorious returning again. What a glorious king who loves us and is also coming back for us as well. How do we live then in this readiness for this appearing of Jesus, our great king, to come again? What does Jesus tell us to do as we wait for this appearing? Well, here's what he doesn't tell us to do. He doesn't tell us to go off and sort of study the weather patterns, thinking about calamities. Jesus doesn't tell us to become geologists, studying earthquakes and working out what's happening there with the calamities on the earth. Jesus doesn't tell us to analyse the patterns of government power, trying to work out who is the Antichrist or who is this one world government system? Where is it coming from? Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. Some people have a fixation on these sort of things, trying to identify all these signs of either weather events or or world-changing issues or the rise of certain individuals as the Antichrist or just trying to see where this government power might be trying to do something here. I I read this this, uh, week as I was studying for this that there's a Christian in America who's recording every earthquake in the world that's taking place because he's trying to track some sort of a marked increase so then he can predict when the second coming of Christ will be. He's fixated here on some sort of geological formations. Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. There's been countless people starting only a few years after Jesus returned to heaven to said, we're in the last days. We're in the last days. That's happened every generation. Even with the disciples, the Thessalonian church, They were convinced that Jesus was coming back imminently, like within days or weeks. So much so, they actually stopped working and just waited for Jesus to return. That was taking place back then. Countless generations have all said, this is it. This is it. Everything's lining up. Jesus is going to be here soon. That's happened countless times. And again today, The current COVID crisis is producing that same speculation again. Uh, There are people finding a platform on social media to warn us that everything's pointing to the last days, guys. Everything is all lining up. Conspiracy theorists can claim they can see a hidden agenda here behind the government, that this is actually the, the formation of the one world government that's coming in now, that COVID is this smokescreen for this hidden agenda behind the scenes that's going to bring in this sort of one world power, one world government. I even had one person tell me last year that while we're in lockdown sort of through July, August, September, October, she, uh, this person said, churches will never meet again. Churches will never meet again. This is the government move now to finally marginalise churches and Christians and push them off to the side and they will never meet again. This person was absolutely emphatic about that. Lo and behold, we got to December and we had full churches meeting all over again. Just highlighting how people can get carried away sometimes with these things. 
Even here in this passage, uh, some have quoted to say this is the last generation before Jesus returns. Uh, Jesus tells this parable there about a fig tree coming out of leaf and it's, it's like a definite sign. When you see the fig tree come out in leaf, you know summer is near. And then Jesus goes on to say this about uh, when these things take place, his kingdom is real close. And he says this in verse 32. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. That perhaps, in the whole chapter, is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to work out. Who is this generation referring to in that verse? Who who is that generation that Jesus is talking about? I've heard many ideas about that generation, and I've read many things about that generation, but I I also know this, that just about every generation in history have thought they were the last generation we don't know what that generation is lots of people point to science thinking this is that last generation but we don't know what that generation will be I'm sure there will be a last generation that will see all this but who knows what generation that will be because Jesus clearly told us and you can go back to the the same chapter in, in Matthew and Mark that no man knows the day or the hour of his return We don't know that. We don't know that. So Jesus has told us, don't, don't divide our time, devote our time, sorry, to studying the weather patterns or studying the earthquakes or or potential antichrists or or one world governments or all these things. Don't devote your time to that. Now, I fully believe all those things will come about, no question about that. And we may be aware of those things, but we don't actually go way off in a tangent trying to put all these studies into those things, trying to think, ah, now it's all lining up for Jesus to come. That's not where Jesus wants us to go. Here's what he wants us to do in being ready for his second coming. Keep our focus on him. Not to take our eyes off Christ. As I think on Jesus, as I let my focus be on the gospel and I follow him in every aspect of my life, I will live firmly, firmly with the view that Jesus is coming back. I will have that firmly in my mindset. Now, have a guess what? It could be today. It could be today. This could be the last day of the world. It could be. Or... It might be a hundred years away. Or it could be a thousand years away. We just don't know. But we live in readiness. And here's what Jesus tells me to do and focus on in this readiness here. Look in verses 34 and 36 with me. This is what Jesus says as he wraps this up. He says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What's Jesus saying here? Don't let yourself be so caught up in the pleasures and the mindless parting of this world that it dulls your senses to the things of Christ. That dissipation there is like a nearly uh, um, hangover, just carousing, drunkenness, 
the cares of this life, just pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. See, if my life is a focus that's all about the pure indulgence of the pleasures and the experience of this world, if my life is focused on trying to gather as much of that as I possibly can, if that's what my life's all about, so that I just move from one experience to the next, of the next big thing that I can actually fill my life up with joy and pleasure, if that's what my life is all about, surely my sensitivity to the return of Christ will be low. It'll be smothered out. Jesus says, don't go there. I won't be looking for Jesus if my life is like that. I'll be looking for the very next best experience I can put in my bucket list. That'll be more important to me than anything else. Jesus says, don't go there. Because if if you go there, his return will come upon you like a trap that you're not ready for. And the trap will be this. You'll be trapped in this world and not connected with Christ. Don't be swallowed up by these things, Jesus says. Verse 36, he says, stay awake, be vigilant in the gospel, stay alert, stay awake to what Christ is doing, focused on the gospel. Be prayerful, he says, for God's strength in this time, praying each day, God, help me to live a life that brings glory and honour to you. Give me the grace today, Lord, to be able to focus upon that, to live in readiness for your return, not to be distracted and way laden by these things that are happening around about me, but to be focused on on you that's how jesus wants us to be ready trusting in him and remaining intently focused upon him in this coming also jesus wants us to see a glorious hope that he gives as we think about this coming often people are scared here about the persecution that is coming towards christians i get that Nobody enjoys pain, nobody enjoys difficulty, nobody enjoys those sorts of things. But really carefully, what Jesus says, he doesn't promise to remove us away from pain or persecution. If you've been told that about the gospel, you're listening to the wrong gospel. Jesus doesn't remove us from pain and Jesus doesn't remove us from persecution. There are already people experiencing this persecution right now. Look at what Jesus says here in verses 16 and 17. He says this, You'll be delivered up uh, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they'll put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. In some extreme Islamic countries today, it's considered an honour to hand in your family member who's converted to Christ and have them killed. So betrayed by your mother or father or by your brothers or sisters and handed over to the authorities, persecuted and killed just simply because you converted to Christ as a follower of him. How difficult would that be? How hard would that be to face? Your own parents or your own family handing you in. Now now Jesus says he'll give us the grace that's needed if and when that comes. He will give us the grace and the strength for that. In harrowing times back then, because they experienced that back then, massive persecution just after Jesus left. And in some countries today and in the future to come, followers of Christ, as Jesus said there in that verse as well, will die simply for calling Jesus Lord. Nothing else other than that. We need to make no mistake about that. Following Jesus will cost some people their life. But look at what Jesus says next as he follows on with this verse here, in verses 18 and 19. Uh, This is astounding. He says there, 
but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Put that together now. You will die, Jesus says, in the verse before that. But then he says, not a hair of your head will perish. You will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. Doesn't make sense, does it? You will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus, what are you saying? Can you imagine the disciples sitting on Mount Olivet there, looking down on the temple as Jesus is talking about its destruction? They're looking down this grand edifice down there, and they're hearing about it's going to be destroyed, and they're hearing about possibly their own death at the same time. And Jesus is saying to them, sure, they can kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. They can kill this physical earthly body that we have, but they can't touch your soul. Jesus is saying, in God's sovereign providence, you may die in persecution. Now, unlikely we'll experience that here in Australia. Unlikely. But other countries, that's very likely and is happening. But don't worry. Jesus says you are eternally safe because not a hair of your head will perish. Your soul is secure. Now, they didn't fully get it then, and I'm sure I wouldn't have fully got it either if I was sitting in front of Jesus and looking at the temple and hearing him say all that. They didn't get that because Jesus is about to secure their souls by his death on the cross. He's about to pull it all together. He's about to pay their debt of sin so they can be forgiven for eternity. I'm sure they would look back in the years to come filled with glorious hope as they reflect on this conversation and this time they sat around the mountain looking down the temple and on this conversation of Jesus and say, look, look, can you remember guys? Can you remember how our sovereign Lord, our Saviour just rescued us, cared for us, told us what was coming in the near future and assured us for his second coming and gave, gave us such hope and confidence? I'm sure they look back and say, oh, what glorious hope he gave to us, what glorious confidence he gave to us as we thought about that. The second coming of Jesus should bring us excitement and joy. That we, uh, as believers, must hold that thought regularly in our minds. That one day this will all be over, that Jesus will come upon the clouds with great power and glory. That we can't let ourselves drop the ball as it were in life and lose our focus by getting immersed and caught up in this world and losing our firm gospel convictions in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. And one of the most powerful ways of remaining focused here is through consistent prayer and fellowship. Consistent prayer and fellowship to spur each other on in this glorious hope that he's given to us. Now fellowship is one of those things that's been dramatically uh, damaged over the last 18 months by COVID. It really has. Uh, Today, instead of having 100 people here, there's five people here. It's really critical that as we make, uh, we make every effort to move back into fellowship, to spur each other on, to encourage each other on as we await our King and our Saviour. Even now during lockdown, there are some things that we can do. Uh, you can meet for an exercise walk for an hour or so. Why not do that? Why not phone somebody up and say, hey, I'll meet you at the end of the street, or I'll meet you down at the lake, or I'll meet you somewhere and just do an hour's exercise together and have gospel fellowship and gospel conversation together as you do that. And build each other up and spur each other on. Have you done that? 
Have you phoned somebody up and say, hey, how about we meet at the end of the street and go for a walk? Do that. Over the next few weeks, uh, some in-person services will begin to happen, we believe, in very small numbers, low numbers. Uh, As you're asked to come along, please jump in. Don't neglect this fellowship that we can have together, even though it might be in small numbers, so we can spur each other on as we think about the second coming. Because fellowship in that way will help us to grow in hope as we await the return of Christ. Let me finish here with this passage from Hebrews that talks about this very thing, waiting for this day to appear. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Don't let that be your habit. Please don't let that be your habit. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see that day drawing near. What day is that? That's the coming of Christ. What does Jesus say there? Don't neglect the coming together. Don't let that become a habit which has fallen with some here in the Hebrews. Don't isolate yourself. Let's get together in whatever ways we possibly can in this current situation. And let's build ourselves up in gospel preparation with a focus on the return of Christ. Not thinking about earthquakes, not thinking about Antichrist, thinking about Jesus. Not getting carried away in this world, enjoying it and being thankful for it, but not being immersed in it, but being built up with the gospel to keep our focus on the second coming of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to come this morning, Lord, and open up your word. Father, we ask, we pray now, please, please, Lord, would you just continue to refresh our hearts and refresh our minds in the second coming of Christ. Father, fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with confidence. What a glorious Saviour is. He lets the disciples know of those events that are happening just down the track, preparing them for that, but also preparing us for the end of time as well, Lord, coming back again and calling us, Lord, to stay awake to be prepared, to come before you in prayer, to call upon that strength to endure to the end, to see the Saviour coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Stand up, be strong. Why? Because your redemption draws near. Holy Spirit, we pray, please awaken that thought in our hearts today. Fill our hearts with hope and joy in that as well that we would be a community of believers, Lord, who are strong in that and reflecting that to the world that where we live around about us. Father, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.